I grew up not mixing meat or milk, and I didn't eat pork. But shellfish was a thing in my family, mostly lobster. My grandmother, who kept a kosher home, would go and just inhale a lobster. This woman was straight from Kiev, but wouldn't eat it in the home. From the Jewish Food Society, I'm Amanda Dell, and this is Schmaltzy, personal stories about food and the people behind them. Today on Schmaltzy, fashion writer Liana Satinstein. Liana has most recently written for Vogue, covering fashion around the world. She also hosts the popular Instagram series, Never Worn. Now, Liana is known for telling other people's stories. So we wanted to get to know the writer behind it all. Here's my conversation with the vibrant, witty, and wise beyond her years, Liana. Shalom. (laughs) (laughs) Hi. I was really, really nervous picking out my outfit today because I was like, Liana, the fashion queen is coming on schmaltzy. What am I going to wear? So I was struggling this morning, not going to lie. Well, I think you look great. And as we were saying, I'm loving Torah aesthetic just as much as you are. Totally. We're going to definitely get into that. And I love your look today, too. I see this amazing sparkly scarf. Yeah, got it down the street at a Canal Street tourist shop. It's the one new thing in my wardrobe. Everything else is thrifted, except for the socks and underwear. Have you ever thrifted that? No. No. Okay, that's where you draw the but line. you can. I did an article, actually. You can, but you just have to boil the underwear, essentially, to sanitize it. I talked to my gynecologist <laughs> about this. I quoted her for this article. Inga Zilberstein, guys. Okay, is Great. she Shout the out. OBGYN cool girl to go to? Cool woman. Cool woman. Okay. Okay, We'll give her a ring. She knows about thrifted underwear. Yes. (laughs) Obviously, we talk a lot about food on this show, which we will get to in due time. But tell me a little bit about where your love of fashion came from. My love of fashion came from growing up in a small town in Massachusetts, less than a mile away from New Hampshire on the coast. And I always felt a little odd there. My mother's an extremely beautiful woman. She has incredible taste. And I always admired how she shopped. She's an antique dealer. So a lot of her clothes would be from estate sales and just finding things around. Filene's Basement, RIP. And then Marshall's, TJ Maxx. You would find amazing pieces there. And I always admired that. And I think in a way, I always wanted to aspire to be like that. And then coupled with growing up in a small town and feeling very almost alone. I was the only Jewish girl in my town that I know of. There was like one other guy (laughs) who was like a lawyer. (laughs) Other than that, it was really just me in school who was this awkward Jewish girl. I also think I looked a little different. What does that mean to you? I mean, there's so many diverse components of being Jewish and how you look. If we're going back to using that dated concept, I very much looked different from my classmates. Very dark hair, dark features, some more prominent than others. And kids knew that I was Jewish at school. So it was definitely something that I was teased about. And also, I don't think I grew into my face until junior year. Like I really looked just objectively awkward. Since I felt this odd sense of Otherness, magazines were always my outlet. And that is something that I really fell into growing up. 
what were the magazines that you loved? Obviously, Vogue and Nylon, they were both available at the grocery store at the time. When I started going into the city later on, there was these magazine stands in Cambridge. So I'd go and I'd buy certain magazines, like British Vogue, French Vogue, Russian Vogue. And I just became obsessed. And eventually, you know, with the internet, I was on all of these fashion forums and just constantly clicking and looking and researching. Like, I could name every single model I would just know. I would just be obsessed, which is so funny because a lot of my former colleagues from Vogue, they were in these same forums that I didn't even know of at the time. So Vogue is kind of the ultimate, right? It's the fashion magazine with a capital F. Did you ever think that you would be writing for Vogue when you were looking at it when you were younger? I was hoping. I was like, one day. But then it's always like a pipe dream in your head. And then you finally get there and you're like, oh, I'm here. What was that like? The fashion is, yes, it's incredible. Everyone has a killer look, but everyone was very nice. Well, talking about growing up as the only Jewish person, basically, in your town, what were some of the things that you always ate? I had a horrible diet growing up. I really did. I mean, ice cream for breakfast in a Pyrex cup, Briars, mint chocolate chip. I'm addicted to mint chocolate chip ice cream. I can't really eat it, though, I realized. It's dairy. And I realized I had really bad skin in high school. And it only occurred to me when I was an adult and I moved to New York. I was like, I can't have dairy. It makes me sick and it makes me break out. I think that's the case for a lot of people. Yeah. I didn't know how bad it was. I'd eat this for breakfast all the time. And then I'd bought lunch. So I'd have like some gross pizza or whatever they gave me and like chocolate milk. And then for dinner, Out of that same Pyrex cup, it'd be linguine pasta with the nacho cheese from the bag melted on it. (laughs) This is what I lived on for four years of my high school (laughs) career. I don't think I saw a vegetable for a long time. (laughs) Are you into vegetables these days? Yeah, I had an arugula salad with cherry tomatoes today and chicken sausage before I came here. So yeah, I've graduated. But the day before, I had a bag of goldfish and a huge jumbo family-sized bag of sun chips, cheddar. Ooh, sun chips are good. But did you grow up in a kosher home? Yeah, I grew up not mixing meat or milk, and I didn't eat pork. But shellfish was a thing in my family, mostly lobster. We were next to these shacks on the beach that sell lobster. My grandmother, who kept a kosher home growing up for my father, would go and just inhale a lobster. This woman was straight from Kiev, but they wouldn't eat it in the home. It's almost like seeing a side piece. Do whatever you want, but just don't bring it back in the house. Coastal New England lobster is like the side piece of kosher juice. Yes, exactly. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. I actually am like watering at the mouth as we're talking about. I have an addiction. To lobster. Yes. And crab. Crab I got into when I moved to New York. There's this place on Waverly called The Boil, and I'd go with my two college friends, and we each get two-pound bags of Cajun crab, and I get a lobster tail in mine, and we just sit there and we eat it, and we don't even look at each other. (laughs) Wait, this is like hard crab that you have to hack? No, they take the legs off for you. I mean, I eat everything, but I've never had this experience. I've done a lot of Cape Cod Lobster Shack, which is my favorite. There's honestly nothing that beats that. It's great. I mean, but this is like another spin on it. I mean, this is incredible because we don't have this sort of food in Massachusetts. So when I came here, I was like, oh, this is a whole new strain of shellfish. 
And how did you know your friends would be down for this seafood experience? We're like, we're going to do this. We can finally afford it. Because we've grown up in the city together. When I say this post-college, we went from two slices with a beer to being like, wow, we're queens with our crab. Right. It was like a status symbol almost that you kind of made it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What about now? Is that something you still love? It's a sore subject. So I have given up eating shellfish. My fiance doesn't eat shellfish. He doesn't eat pork. He doesn't mix meat or milk. He's never had shellfish before, which is like, I'm so happy for you because you don't understand the pain that I'm going through trying not to eat it. So when I started dating him and it started getting more serious and I met his family, I just thought to myself, you know, I want to raise my kids in a light kosher home. Listen, I'm not going to do separate dishes, but I want them to have a kosher home for the most part. And I was like, if I'm going to do that, I obviously have to lead by example and then give it up. No more crab boil for me. No more lobsters with my family. Done. So I stopped eating it. Cold turkey. I was with my own family, my crab-eating, lobster-eating Jewish family, and we were at one of the shacks together. So did your family know that that was your last, quote-unquote, meal of shellfish? Okay, so you prepared them. Yeah, and I explained to them, and my mom was like, oh, that's actually really nice. I like that. (laughs) I was like, cool. (laughs) Good for me. Did you explain to Noah, your fiance, like, your reasoning? Yeah, and he was like, I hope you're not doing this for me. And I was like, I'm doing it for the kids. (laughs) No, I didn't say that. I think it's time for me to give it up. And it isn't just about the kid thing, but... Also, when I eat this stuff, I don't pay attention. It's like I have the feedback on, my blinders are on, and I'm in it. You could tell me that you stole a billion dollars, and I'd be like, okay, whatever. Pass me the cracker. So you're saying it's a combination of what it is, but also the experience of eating it that you want to move on from. Yeah. Well, you have moved on from. I really become an absolute, what do you call it, a chazir? I don't in, know In Hebrew, it is. means like what pig. It? But I just can't stop. I just completely lose control. And I was like, I need to stop doing that. I need to stop hoarding the shrimp cocktails at the bat mitzvahs. Wait, I don't cleaning, I, wait, cleaning it out. I don't remember this from the bat mitzvahs oh, yeah. of my day. Shrimp cocktail? Okay. Oh, yeah. So you're going into summer now. How do you think it's going to go? I mean, it's hard. I went to Italy after I left full-time at Vogue. And I was there for 12 days with Noah. And we were in the south of Italy. And I was like, I really want clams linguine. I got to have it. I got to look at those little clams. I got to eat the clam out of it. It's the most satisfying thing ever. And I ate it twice there. And you guys are still together. We're still together. We made it through. And then, oh, I went to a bachelorette with my two college friends down in Florida. And we ordered huge amounts of Cajun crab. I couldn't help it. So I did that. We know about what he eats. But what about how he dresses? Were you attracted to how he dressed, given your profession? No. You know, I never cared about that. I think he dresses extremely well. It's very old Jewish men aesthetic. Describe that for us. Dressing for comfort, but with elegance. A lot of oddball layering that doesn't make sense aesthetically, but it's comfortable for him. And I think he carries it well because he's a very confident guy. Do you guys ever shop together? No. (laughs) Okay, that's where you draw the line. I did not date him because of how he dresses. Okay. 
You mentioned this old Jewish men, which is a collective of men that have an Instagram and they have an aesthetic and they have their own clothing line. So the thing that I think a lot of people don't know about is that Ralph Lauren, Michael Kors, they're kind of Jewish guys from Long Island or the Bronx that became the aesthetic go-to for this preppy kind of really not Jewish vibe. And they kind of reinvented themselves to do that. I think so. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Ralph Lauren is in a total league of his own with that. Even how he dresses himself still has a little bit of that like Lifshitz vibe. What do you mean by that? I mean, his original name is Lifshitz. Yeah. If you see his runway looks are incredible. I actually wrote a story for Vogue about it. I was like, this guy's a style icon, not just the clothes that he makes, but his own aesthetic, like denim on denim with some cowboy hat and a belt that doesn't work, but it weirdly works. Solomon's before they were cool. Like this guy was dressing for just how he wanted to feel, which I think is an old Jewish man trait. (laughs) If I were to say to you, like, what does it mean for someone to dress Jewish? Does something come to mind right away for you? I mean, there's multiple layers to it because I also went to religious camp. So I think of being sneeze, being modest, long skirt, long sleeves. For me, that's a religious way of dressing Jewish. I think mindset-wise is old Jewish man vibes, Long Island vibes. One thing that I've noticed lately is that there's kind of a big resurgence or interest in kind of being Jewish online. And online, I mean, obviously on the internet, but on social media. There was this article about Torah teacher aesthetic that came out. It's a new thing. I did an article for Fashionista where I went into Crown Heights and I photographed Orthodox women in their modest clothes. I was like, this is so cool. And they're expressing themselves in an interesting way. And there's this sort of dress code. I think it's interesting. I don't think a lot of people know about it. And I think you can teach a lot of people about your culture through clothing. Old Jewish men did a bunch of bootleg Ralph Lifshitz hats with the polo symbol on it. And it was cool. It just taught people a different thing about being Jewish. And you're like, whoa, this old guy is actually an old Jewish man who created a huge empire. It's kind of incredible. And do you think that it's because of the particular moment in time that we're in that something like a Ralph Lipschitz hat got attention? Why do you think now? I mean, we're more online than ever. And I think these things catch on because of that. And I think people are extremely proud to be Jewish right now. I mean, honestly, I think it's like anti-Semitism. Feeling like our community is finding a new or different way to combat anti-Semitism. Yeah, and I think you can see this through different ways too, whether it's in almost a secular cultural way, where it's a Ralph Lifshitz hat, whether it's the Torah aesthetic article, whether it is women on Instagram who are dressing a certain way and they want to show being Jewish in that way. Yeah. Well, I think about myself personally and the work that we do at Jewish Food Society, and I consider it kind of a low-key way of fighting anti-Semitism. What we do is we share incredibly diverse stories of Jewish families, history, life, recipes. And by creating this other narrative, we're saying we're here, we're proud this is how we connect to our Judaism through food. And I think that clothing can be that for some people too. Yeah, I think so. I started collecting old merch. I have an old yeshiva, super oversized 
baby blue polo. I wore it for a shoot for this magazine called Homegirls. And I was like, this is sick. And, you know, I had my Star of David out and everything. On my ear, I have a Star of David. I have a Hamsa. I need to shop your merch closet. If you ever have a closet sale, I really need that. I have some good camp merch, too. Amazing. And that's, like, actually weirdly trending right now. Someone sent me a tweet where in Japan right now, it's cool to collect merch from Orthodox girls' camps, vintage merch. I'm like, what? That is crazy, but go forth and buy it. That is so amazing to me. Yeah, and my friend Mayan Toledano, she's a photographer. We're always scanning Instagram for great merch. Like, there's some great schools in Crown Heights that have women's schools who have great merch. Speaking of Mayan, she's a friend of ours. The article that you both did for Vogue that she photographed, where you went to deliver, like, Shabbat dinner to Holocaust survivors in Brooklyn, I can't tell you how many people in my network and community shared that and how beautiful that was. You know, Hanukkah was coming up. Mayan has had a years-long relationship with these survivors in Sheepshead Bay, and she was always Instagramming it and photographing it for herself and just recording their stories. And then she's like, I want you to write it with me. She's one of my best friends. And so we went down there and we recorded and we did all of that. It was intense, but it's on there forever. Yeah. How were you feeling when you were there? And was there an expectation of what you thought it would be like that was different from what it was? I think when we hear and we see Holocaust survivors, a lot of the times it's in a very dark light. You're like, this person went through a lot of trauma. It's horrible. It's sad. It's heartbreaking. But just listening to them and how they talk about their grandkids and their kids and kind of like this glass half full situation, there's a lot of warmth with them. And I think that is what really made the story shine was the fact that they're happy. They're going out. (laughs) They're taking walks. Yeah. Their resilience is pretty incredible. Yeah. It's really incredible. Thank you so much for doing that work and also to Mayan for sharing that with everyone. It was really inspiring. Yeah. I was like, I'll never complain again. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm thrilled that we were able to do it. Yeah. So back to Chloe, are there any specific Jewish icons that are everything to you? I just did a story on Donna Karen. <gasps> yeah, she's like a crazy wow. resurgence right now of vintage Donna Karen among vintage dealers and just women in general. I think it has a lot to do with my age group. Is it like the DKNY or the Donna the Karen Donna, New York? The like big the, D Donna, okay. yeah. The Lux. Yes, and I think it's because she became popular in the 90s. And this is when women were entering more boardroom executive spaces and she was dressing these women and so her rise coincided perfectly with the rise of the professional woman actually I think it'd probably be more like 80s and the credits a lot to her boom and a lot of the clothes you know streamlined trouser great suit incredible looks also from Queens originally Kew Gardens but yeah I love Donna Karen incredible designer incredible vision with design. And I always love how she showed women in her advertisements because they're very much just women doing their thing, reading the newspaper, walking to work, but they're powerful, which I'm like, that's hot. I want to be that woman. I want to be the Donna Karen woman. I want to look like I'm going to like sue someone. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. 
Well, I am here for the next era of Donna Karen. Is she going to bring something back? What's going on? I hope so. I would love to see Donna do a second coming of Donna Karen. I really would. You know, I'm also in my 30s now, so I'm dressing differently than I was in my 20s. So it's less DKNY, more Donna, more Big D. Yeah. <laughs> love that. Okay. Very last question. What's your hot take on food on clothing? Like the New York Times covered the hubbub over the Rachel Antonoff viral pasta puffer. You are what you eat. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I always say it's a self-expression. Wear what you want to wear. Go for it. I have a shirt with two bananas over the boobs. It's Stella McCartney era Chloe. It says like, it's so you're funny, open it's to wearing food on Go clothing. ahead. No shrimp cocktail. <laughs> Liana, thank you so much for joining us and sharing so much about your life. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That was Liana Satinstein. You can find her on Instagram at Liana underscore AVA. And while you're there, give us a follow at Jewish Food Society. For recipes and family stories from around the world, head over to jewishfoodsociety.org. And if you like what you hear, be a mensch and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Schmalti is produced by the Jewish Food Society in partnership with Pod People and made with love in NYC. Our executive producer is Nama Shafi, and our theme music is by Yuval Semo. Special thanks to the team at Pod People Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, Madison Lesby, Robin Gelfenbein, and Carter Wogan. This episode was recorded at WTF Media Studios. I'm your host, Amanda Dell. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.